With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host today, Brad Rowland. For the first time in a while, you'll hear my uh, voice first, and joining me as always, his name is Carlos Colazzo. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? How's it going? Glad to uh, have you opening up the podcast. The pressure is all on you, so if this one is lame, uh, blame it on Brad. Hit him up on Twitter. <laughs> don't, don't blame it on me, and blame it, in fact, on our actual guests for today's show, <laughs> a frequent guest, uh, more so when Carlos deserted me for months, but uh, Scott <laughs> Coleman is on the podcast today. What's up, Scott? Thanks for having me on. I think it's been about a month since I've done one of these, so looking forward. Yeah, it's been forever since I've heard Scott's voice, and I feel like the uh, quality of our podcast always goes up like tenfold when Scott's on, so it's <laughs> nice to have you on, buddy. Oh, shucks. Thanks, pal. <laughs> That is definitely accurate. Uh, Scott is smarter than everyone else, so uh, good to have Scott on the podcast. Uh, not a ton of news, but there is some stuff to get to. Um, a couple of prospect prospect lists that I know uh, were uh, big points of discussion in Brad's country. We'll get to both of those. But uh, the first thing, uh, because I'm hosting the podcast, this this becomes the first thing, and that is that the Braves are reportedly considering uh, a, re- a reunion with uh, old pal Jeff Rancor, uh per John Heyman. Of I believe FanRag Sports now the Marlins are also interested in Francoeur. So should we should should the Braves pay Francoeur twenty million a year or twenty one million a year? <laughs> I'd say they should probably give him twenty five just because all those cool ads he did for the Braves like in the mid two thousands. Um, I would go a little higher than that, Brad. I think you're shorting him a little bit. Seems low. No, in all serious though, uh, Scott, is this something that you hate? Is this something that you're okay with? Where are you at with the potential Francoeur reunion? Because right now the the Braves really only have three full-time outfielders and now that Malik Smith is no longer a thing they have some, yeah I mean that's true <laughs> but that really more of a DH but he has to play the outfield this is the National League so Scott is this reasonable are you surprised I know it's not surprising at all but where are you at with this you know if they want to bring him on and, and see how he looks in the spring and maybe give him the 24th or, or 25th spot on the roster you know you, you can't get too worked up on a team like this about who's going to be the final guy or two on the team you know, he was he was pretty solid last year um gave the Braves a little bit he, he's at least serviceable in the outfield and um hit okay not really well on an everyday basis but it tended to hit lefties a little bit better so um, if they want to bring him on for his leadership and you know to be an example for some of the guys uh, some of the younger guys that'd be fine um, I think they could certainly survive without him. It's not as if this team is is a Jeff Francoeur away from from competing. Um, but if they want to bring him back, and you know, if he stinks it up in spring training, he can shake hands. Uh, maybe he retires and becomes like a you know a, a coach or something like that in the lower levels within a year or two. So um, if they want to bring him back, sure, it wouldn't be like they're you know they're bringing back one of the the worst players in baseball by any means, but. Um, I, I would think that he would have to be pretty uh, pretty open to nothing guaranteed if, if he was going to come back to the team. 
Carlos, do you feel the same way? I know I'm, I'm hopelessly biased, so I'm going to save myself for last. So uh, where are you? I, I'd probably say I'm a, even a little less enthused than Scott, and he didn't really sound super excited about it. Uh, I mean, he used to be a pretty good hitter against lefties. Last year, he was still a below average hitter. He had an 89 WRC plus versus lefties, uh, 271 average, 414 slugging percentage. So, I mean, I guess he can give you something off the bench, but he's really, I mean, if you're putting him in against right-handed hitters, you're really doing something wrong, and I'd rather give someone someone else in the system a shot at this point, I feel like. I mean, Frank Corzin yeah. is 33-year-old, or a 33, age 33 season uh, next year. So, I mean, Frank Corr obviously is a, a fan favorite, and everyone's going to like the, the nostalgia that comes along with him, but I'd honestly rather try someone else and see if, if they can give you something more than Jeff can, because I feel like we kind of know what he's going to give you. And it's not a whole lot at this point, I feel like. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, I, For those of you who are might be new listeners or new followers of mine, uh, I went to high school with Jeff. So I'm kind of hopelessly on I'm a bias on this one. But <laughs> I, I definitely agree with both of you and uh, that uh, there are better ways to use that roster spot than Jeff Rencore yeah. right now on a team that's not going to be uh, at least most likely competing for the World Series in 2017. So uh, I'm, I'm good. Uh, not doing this, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, the other name that's been floated within the last month or so is Kelly Johnson, and that's kind of the other obvious, hilarious uh, subplot because one of these guys has to be on the team at all times. I would uh, love Kelly Johnson so, yeah. so much more just because I feel like the Braves have re-signed him infinitely more times than Jeff Francoeur. That yeah. is, that is true, and for some reason they can always flip Kelly Johnson for like a real asset every time they do this. Yeah, I which feel is like Kelly is still a much better hitter than Jeff Francoeur still, and he was a, yep. a positive WAR player last year, which is more than Jeff can say. So. Yeah, I mean, if it's between Frank Corr and, and Adam Walker, the guy who they just signed <laughs> off waiver, I mean, at least let Walker go up there and try to hit a 500-foot homer yeah. and, and or you know strike out three times while filling in. Didn't uh, he strike out like 200 times in like four plate appearances last year? Yeah, he struck out in 38% of his AAA at-bats last year. Hit 27 <laughs> homers. So he had um, 478 at-bats and struck out 202 times and walked just 44 times. Is yeah. that good? I mean, I don't think it's great, but yeah. he has hit uh, twenty plus home runs in four minor league seasons. So yeah, he would fit in exciting twenty. Top. Yeah, twenty fourteen Braves. He would fit in nicely oh, on that. I team. think just, they should bring up Adam Walker just so we can have the uh, home run versus strikeout debate on Twitter again. That would be great. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please, please, no. Uh, I do have a legitimate. I do have a legitimate question though. Uh, out of the front core thing, and that is something we talked about offline, the three of us before we before we got, got this thing started, but. Um, the Braves, you know, as I said, they only have three actual outfielders. They also have Jace Peterson. They also have Sean Rodriguez, who can play the outfield. Um, but um, who's the backup center fielder right now on this roster? I feel like that's kind of a thing. I mean, having a fourth outfielder is not that big of a deal when you have other guys that can play the outfield. But mm-hmm. uh, having a backup center fielder um, for a guy in Ciarte that uh, might, might be able to pick up uh, a, an injury here or there, considering just the way that he plays so hard, and he's had, he's had a couple injuries in the past. So what's the plan there, I would ask, both of you? Uh, I think Scott if Ender, can take this one first. I yeah, I was going to say, agree. you know, if Ender, Ender the last two years, as great as he's been, he's pulled a hamstring and missed about a month both both years. Um, that was kind of the knock on him too out here in Arizona before he really kind of established himself is that he would always seemingly be a little banged up. Um, you know, if Ender goes down, the Braves are in a lot of trouble because it's certainly not a situation where you have a, you know, a Jason Hayward in right field who can handle center field. Um, and with Malik Smith gone, you really are, are pretty thin at center. 
Um, now, hopefully, Ender survives and, and you know plays 155 games and has a monster year. You know, looking at the roster now, the 40-man roster, uh, Jace could probably handle it on an emergency basis. Um, you certainly would have no interest in putting, a, you know, a Kemp or Marquecas out there. Even Sean Rodriguez, you'd probably be. You'd be can you imagine Matt Kemp playing center field? Oh <laughs> yes, I can. I, I, I've seen it before. We all have. <laughs> oh my! They might actually need a stretcher on the field. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, the guy who they just brought over from from the Dodgers, Micah Johnson. Um, you know, guy in his mid twenties now. He's gotten a little bit of a taste of the big leagues. Had some decent enough numbers in the minors and. Came up as an infielder, but it's pretty quick, pretty athletic. Um, not that speed makes you a, a good outfielder by any means or a center fielder, nonetheless. Um, but a guy who did play some center last year. Um, you know, if Ender was to go down, I would guess that Micah Johnson probably would, would make the most sense of who's currently on the 40-man. Um, but if you look at it, there's really not a whole lot out there. The Braves would be in a considerable, considerable amount of trouble if if NCR has to miss any time. You know who might be an interesting guy is Matt Lipka. He's still hanging around the system. Oh dear God, what are we <laughs> yeah. doing? Played 56 games uh, at AAA last year, and of those, uh, 48 of them came in center field. So I mean, What's I I don't know now? much about his his. <laughs> he's not going to give you anything in the lineup, but can he? He can run around a little bit. He can play better defense than. Than Matt Camp, I feel uh, well, confident si- in that. Sign me up for, <laughs> Dustin, for Dustin Peterson at 21 or whatever he'll be before Matt Lipka, whatever, yeah. anything no, but that. I think Jason and uh, Micah are probably the two most likely, like Scott said. And I would be interested in just seeing those guys in center field to see what they can they can do. They both have pretty good wheels. So you might have like a super utility player on your hands if they can actually handle center. It does speak to a little bit of a problem, though, just because I think uh, all these options are bad, as we can all agree. Uh, <laughs> Matt so, Aside from maybe Jay, I mean, Jace is the only option there that like even intrigues me even mildly. And he's a great athlete, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So I think he might be able to handle it and not embarrass himself. But this is still a guy who's been an infielder most of his life. Um, so asking him to, if something happened and Ciarte play real center field for a while would be a problem. So something to watch for. I'm sure the Braves understand this as well, uh, that, you know, Ender, even just giving him a day off right now, there's not a guy that, to even play there credibly. So uh, that's going to be something that uh, I would say to keep an eye on just somewhere. It might be a random uh, cast off guy they bring on that can play some center field but uh, I'd be I guess I'd be a little bit surprised if they go into the if they go into the season like this just how it currently is because as we just kind of banded about there's not really a real option there maybe the Malik Smith trade was a bad one after all oh here we go uh, I, know, I know you I know you love that Malik Smith trade Carlos because you don't like Malik Smith. I love but, Malik Smith I just don't think he's a great player that's true. We don't have to do this again. All right, we'll, go, we'll move on. A couple of smaller notes before we get to the prospect list. Um, first is that Chris Medlin is back on a minor league contract that does not include a spring training invite. Um, I guess this is this is good. I mean, Chris Medlin was once the best pitcher on the planet for like three months um, and is obviously a, a longtime fan favorite and has had a, a rough stretch of it since leaving Atlanta uh, and has obviously a lot of injury issues. But I guess I'll go to Carlos first here. Uh, thoughts on Chris Medlin returning, maybe? I mean, this is not really even a full-fledged return mm-hmm. to Atlanta. But, uh, where are you at with Chris Medlin? I was super excited uh, to hear that Chris Medlin was coming back to the team until I looked at his Fangraphs page today and uh, realized that he walked. I think Scott told me this as well. He walked more people than he struck out last year. Uh, he walked 20 batters in 24 innings with the Royals in six starts uh, and posted a quality 7.77 ERA. So I don't really know how much Chris has in the tank, 
Um, in 2012, he had a 1.57 ERA, and I don't think anyone's going to expect anything close to that now. It would be cool to see him break the team. I would I would imagine the bullpen is the place that he's going to hit the majors if he does at some point, but Chris is another guy that a lot of Braves fans uh, think back fondly of, uh, myself included. So I think it would be fun just to see him on the team again, but I'm pretty skeptical that he'll actually make it. I know, um, I think Copy said he didn't expect him to, to be ready until the All-Star break. Is that what he said, Brad? I believe that's true. Yeah. I think uh, it's a situation where, like, he has this, he has just tons of injury stuff, and mm. it's more of a flyer. I, I think uh, I'll let Scott make the copy made offline. Um, but yeah, it's it's a situation where people are going to be really excited to hear Chris Medlin's name and thinking, mm. you know, especially people that are only Braves fans, which I think is a lot of the audience because baseball is a super regional sport. So I don't think a lot of people have probably been following Medlin too close since he left town. Yeah. And you know, you hear that, and it's like, oh, another arm that's good, but Medlin's not either been good or and or healthy in what three, four years almost. I mean, Chris Medlin's last competent uh, major league season was 2013 with, with the Braves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was he was okay-ish in 2015 with the Royals when he came back um, from the first injury. Um, had a had a 4.01 ERA, but uh, that was a short. It was a small sample, and uh, I don't know. Medlin's a fun guy. I I know I miss uh, just kind of that stretch where he was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But you know, Scott Scott, are you excited at all about this? Or are you are you kind of poor on cold water like we are? You know, when when the tweets and reports and everything surfaced that he had reached a deal with the Braves, it's it's always nice to see the guys because he was really pretty incredible in 2012 and 2013. Um, just kind of his run those two seasons was, you know, no one really expected it. And, and he was just flat out dominant. Um, you know, it's it's exciting to see him. If, if he isn't back until the All-Star break, maybe he can find a little magic in the second half and, you know, give the Braves a little bit of a boost. But at that point, I would imagine uh, they're probably looking on to 2018 and, and looking to get some of their young guys into rotation. You know, hopefully Medlin can, can stay healthy and, and find somewhat of his old self. But, you know, it's kind of similar to when the, when the club signed Peter Moylan a season or two ago. And all year long, you, you would look and, you know, see, why isn't Moylan getting a chance? Why not? Why not? And it's because he isn't very good anymore. And as, as much as you would like for Medlin to go out there and be the guy that he was, you know, three seasons ago, it's probably just not going to happen. Um, but, you know, if he, if he can bounce back, obviously he has to figure out the walks. He can't be walking a batter an inning. Um, but if he could give the Braves a little something – uh, you know, he would certainly get big cheers at, at SunTrust if he if he's able to either come out of the rotation or come out of the bullpen or, or make a start or two. Um, but all in all, I, I can't imagine he'll contribute too much, which is a shame considering what he was just a couple seasons ago. Do you guys want to guess what Ma- uh, Chris Medlin's fastest pitch was last season? Ooh, 87. 87. Wow, way under. This is max pitch, not his average. Oh, max ooh. velocity pitch. What do you think? It's higher than I thought. 92.9. Hmm. Is wow. that, his fastball average 90, just at 90, which is below average in the majors at this point if you're, I mean, if you're a starter or a reliever, but it's not as bad mm-hmm. as I thought. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, what are your thoughts on Chris? It's the same thing. I mean, it is it is what it is. It's good to have Medlin around in my life, but aside from that, I'm not expecting much, and hopefully hopefully he's healthy, man, because if he's, if he's healthy, then there's stuff you can work with, and maybe out of the bullpen, as you guys said earlier, yep. um, but aside from that... A lot yeah, of competition what? there. 
Uh, for sure. There's lots of bullpen. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Before we get to that, uh, Sean Rodriguez, this is sort of a, an, an off note because of the fact that he's uh, apparently healthy after this. But um, there's a report uh, circulating that he was actually in a in a car accident, was T-boned by a stolen police car while in, is that Miami? Is that right? Miami-Dade yeah. uh, County, yeah. Miami-Dade County. Um, he's not hurt, apparently, and he was with his kids and his wife, and nobody's seriously injured, which is nice, but something worth noting because that was in the news uh, today as we record this on Sunday night. I think... Um, just kind of a bizarre scene. Yeah, the kids, are, apparently, this uh, report I'm reading says the kids are in serious but stable condition, so I imagine they'll be okay, but hopefully nothing too crazy with injuries with them. Obviously, it's good that that everyone's obviously alive. So hopefully this isn't anything too bad when we get more details, but it's kind of a crazy story to pop up. Been a lot of car accidents in baseball lately. It's not, not really a nice trend. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, best wishes for, uh, for Sean and his family. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Glad it wasn't worse. For sure. That's sort of a, just an off, an off note, but there you go. Um, you guys mentioned the bull, the bullpen a second ago. Mark Bowman, uh, old, a friend of the podcast. It's not really a friend of the podcast, but a friend of Carlos's at least. And Scott's. Doesn't, doesn't, he, doesn't he follow he you on Twitter? He talks to Scott all the time on Twitter. Yeah, me and Bo are buddies. I, I, whenever we travel, he, always, you know, he usually comes out to like the West Coast, and we'll always meet up and you know, talk for 20, 30 minutes just on the concourse, something like that. Yeah, he's oh. a good man. Well, one of you, I mean, two of you are friends with Mark Bowman, and I'm Brad, not. Brad, you're so lame. To Mark. I love Mark Bowman, but I've never had an opportunity to meet Mark, so that's unfortunate. He's the uh, best in the business. Anyway, uh, he wrote this bullpen, uh, basically, I don't know, manifest. It was a very, very large, uh, in-depth piece about the bull, about the 2017 bullpen, which I encourage, encourage everybody to read. But uh, it's very in-depth, and it's sort of how it's the fact that there's a lot going on in the bullpen. Um, not really a ton of, I mean, there's a few guys who who seem to be locks, but there's reports that Arroyo Piscaino is on the trade market and uh, potentially that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess big picture takeaways here from that article or whatever you want to talk about with the bullpen here, Scott. Um, you know, there's there's probably three or four guys who are locks, but uh, anybody else that you like, anybody else that you don't like necessarily, that you, that you don't want to be in the bullpen, uh, or how you feel about the bullpen? You know, I'm intrigued by a couple of the guys that they've added. Um both this winter and the guys they've added over the last year or two through the draft and, and through waivers and a um, couple of guys who have been injured and who have, you know, have the potential to be good if they get healthy. You figure that Jim Johnson, of course, is a lock. Um, assuming they don't trade Vizcaino, he would be in there. Um, and then last year, Ian Kroll was really pretty good from the left side. Um, speaking of the guys that are newer, um, you look at a guy like, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. I knew I was going to do it. The guy from the Cubs just picked him up. Um, we'll get back to him. Um, <laughs> part two of this is you have a lot of hard throwers. Um, we saw last year with Mauricio Cabrera. He was throwing Rivera. balls. Um, yes, that's it. Riviera. We'll get back to him. Um, you know, with Mauricio Cabrera, a guy who has always struggled with control, and then last year he kind of came up to the big leagues and, and just started throwing strikes. Um, he certainly has a chance to stick. Um, one of the guys who was added a year and a half ago in that awful Hector Oliveira trade was uh, Paco Rodriguez, a guy who was really pretty good and just downright filthy against lefties um, before getting hurt. Um, he has a chance to join Kroll as the other lefty out of the bullpen. Um, they've added uh, Eric O'Flaherty once again. They hope he can stay healthy. Um, you know, of all the newest guys, Riviero is a guy. Armando Riviero was added in the Rule 5 draft, so the Braves are kind of stuck to him. If, if they want to commit to him, they have to put him in the big leagues to open the year. Had huge strikeout numbers, good walk numbers in the minors with the AAA Cubs. Um, of course, just wasn't able to break in in Chicago. 
Um, so there's there's plenty of options. If, if you look at Bowman's article, I think he lists about 14 guys who are going to be battling for seven or eight spots. Um, Chaz Rowe looked pretty good at times last year. Jose Ramirez looked pretty good at times last year. Um, and then you look at someone like A.J. Minter, who was a, who was a high draft pick um, just two years ago. He, he's been compared to uh, even a young Craig Kimbrell with just how hard he throws from the left side, a guy who had surgery and had to shift to the bullpen full-time in college. So uh, lots of options, which is a good thing for Atlanta. You never want to go into spring training thinking, oh, boy, if, who, who's going to throw the seventh inning for us? Um, and, and you hope that they can kind of strike gold with, with some of these uh, guys that they've added over the last 12, 18 months, um, kind of under the radar moves, but but moves that could pay dividend because you teams start getting in trouble, especially mid-market clubs really start getting in trouble once they have to start spending uh, on the free agent market for for relievers. Yeah, I think for me, this this piece really just got me excited about trading some of this depth, to be honest. They've got tons of guys, and uh, really after seeing what the reliever market was looking like, uh, particularly at the trade deadline with the stuff the Yankees got, obviously they're trading away two of the best relievers in baseball. But their returns were significantly stronger than what I expected their returns to be. So dangling a guy like Vizcaino, who's had some injury history, uh, I would be interested in to see what he could bring back. Um, just because I feel like the Braves are dealing from a position of death right here. Um, I feel like I, I would really be excited to see what they could get just by trading one of these guys, maybe even a couple of them. Uh, do you guys think that's that's a risky move at this point because none of these guys are like sure things? Or do you think there's there's enough arms in the system to uh, maybe see what you can get on the the trade market? I, I think they could trade them. Yeah, and not to cut. Yeah, bro, what do you think? I think they could. I mean, there's so I much feel like this, here. And... I feel like Vizcaino is would be an attractive guy when he's healthy. He's one of the better relievers in baseball. I mean, he's a solid late inning guy. Um, sure. Obviously, someone's taking a bet that he's going to stay healthy and that the walks aren't going to be as high as they were last year, but. I mean, he's a talented relief pitcher, and just seeing what teams are getting for these back-end relievers, I would definitely be interested in the Braves trying that out. Yeah, and somebody will get desperate. You know, mm-hmm. you just wait for a team in the spring for two relievers. You know, their seventh and eighth inning guys, their closer, they blow out an elbow on the you know second week of spring training, mm-hmm. and suddenly they're a little more willing to dip into their prospect pool to get one of these guys. Yeah, especially a team that's competing. I mean, the Braves don't really need – obviously, you want your bullpen to be – to be good, but having a, a solid bullpen is more of a luxury for a team that's not competing, and I don't anticipate the Braves to do that this season. Obviously, you might disagree with me there, but uh, I, I would definitely be interested in the Atlanta trying to do something with that. I'm always here for value, man. Like It's one of those things where if you can get a real return on a reliever, uh, sign me up, always. It was, I was it was one of those people that I was in the camp of people that should be tra- that the Braves should be trading, trying to trade Campbell before they actually mm-hmm. did it. Um, I mean, Kimbrel, they ended up getting a good return for, um, but at the same time, like probably a year before that, they might even gotten more. Yep. Uh, so it's one of those things where I'm good with always. If they can get a real return for this guy in or any reliever, then sign me up. They still have Jim Johnson. If they want to have the quote unquote closer uh, guy with, with, with the profile, that's why you have Jim Johnson. That's mm-hmm. why you pay Jim Johnson. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you don't, you don't just trade him to trade him. That's kind of how it is with, with every prospect. Like you don't just give the guy away, but uh, if you can get a, an overpay, which is what copy seems to be, uh, always on the lookout for, I think he'll basically trade anybody on the roster, Sands, Swanson and Freeman and Julio. That's about the only guys I'd be surprised if they actually traded uh, at any point at this point in time, like copy just will trade anything that's not tied down. And if you can get good value, then go ahead and do it. 
Um, with with that said, um, we can move on to the uh, prospect list, which is uh, sort of the headliner here. Um, for those of you who not follow this closely, um, both Keith Law of ESPN and MLB Pipeline released their uh, prospect list, their top 100s uh, this week. And the Braves, as you might expect, have a lot of players on both of those, uh, both of those lists. Um, I believe it is nine of the top 100 of, on Keith Law's list and seven of the top 100 on MLB Pipeline's list, which forced, of course, everybody to uh, everybody in Braves country to go and say <laughs> the MLB Pipeline was was hating on the Braves, yeah. which I found hilarious. Seven um, people tied for the MLB lead and MLB Pipeline hates the Braves. You know, if, if, if it wasn't nine or more, it was going to be they were hating on the Braves. So uh, I don't know. Lots to get to here. I guess we can start with Keith Law's list. Um it's insider, so we. I guess we probably shouldn't just go super deep and give everything away, but I guess we can. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the rules Keith on podcasts. Yeah, if Keith Law is listening to this podcast, hello, Keith. Love your work. But we're not going to give your scouting reports away. We're just going to give right. away where you have good rank. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, all right. So I'll go down the list and rank, guys. Uh, this is the Law's list. It's Dansby Swanson, number two overall. Uh, Ozzy Albies, number 26. Colby Aller, number 32. Ronald Acuna, I believe is the pronunciation I've been given at this point. Uh, his number 36. Max Freed at 50, Ian Anderson at 52, Kevin Maiton at 59, Luis Gohara at 77, and Sean Newcomb at 81. Uh, Pretty solid. I think the, yeah. the biggest takeaway was Keith said that uh, from what he could tell, no team has ever put nine nine players in the top 100 before. Um, and really with Newcomb being the lowest rated of everyone there, you argue that nine of the top 81 prospects, at least according to, to Keith, um, belong to the Braves, and that's an incredible number. Um, really pretty a terrific mix of, you know, you look at someone like Dansby, who, who's a pretty safe bet to at least be a, you know, big league um, average player. I think, you know, I think Braves fans would certainly hope he's more than just an average starting shortstop. Um, but you look at him, you look at someone like Ozzy Albies, who may not ever become a star, but but I think has a pretty good chance to stick at the big league level, given his skill set. And then you you have the upside, too. You look at, you know, Maiton, who's, uh, what, 16? I think he turns 17 mm-hmm. in two weeks. Um, you know, Acuna, I'm going to have to, uh, Acuna uh, <laughs> needs to, uh, you know, he's he's only played about 90 professional games in the United States. Um, you know, to have him 36, all the tools in the world that you're, you know, you're going strictly off upside. You look at some of the pitchers, the Colby Allard is, is, you know, all of a year and a half into his big league career. Um, Gohara has only thrown, I think he's only made something like 40 starts in the United States since, since signing from, from Brazil. So a good mix of talent. And anytime you have nine of the 81 best prospects um, in baseball, it's certainly a, a good starting point to build off of. Yeah, I agree. I think if what's really interesting about this list is you really see how much risk is in all these prospects. I mean, aside from Dansby Swanson and Ozzy, uh, all these guys have a significant amount of risk tied to them. I mean, Colby Allard's a while away. Ian Anderson's a while away. Freed has the injury concerns. Uh, Kuna, like you said, hasn't played a ton. Uh, Maiton is 16 years old. Gohara has command issues. Newcomb has command issues. Uh, I know some people even think Gohara is more of a reliever than a starter. Obviously, Keith's higher on him. But uh, for having nine players, there's still a lot of risk with uh, the Braves' top prospects. Is that concerning to you guys at all, or just are, are these numbers enough to kind of ease your worries? I mean, it's a little bit concerning, but only because prospects are always concerning. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that, I mean, it's always good to have a stock system, but I mean, I think people are, a lot of people at least assume that these guys are all going to pan out, and that's kind of what we talk about all the time. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Um, but no, I mean, it's. It's a good thing in that you have so many of these guys. Uh, it's not a good thing that a lot of them are super, are super far away. So that's 
and that kind of just increases your risk altogether. But even then, I mean, there's still a couple of guys on this list. I mean, Mike Soroka's not on this list. Tuki Toussaint's not on this list. Like guys who we thought could be in contention for top 100 status aren't on it, and the and the Braves still got nine guys. So mm-hmm. it's kind of just an embarrassment of riches. I mean, even you can you can kind of hear it in the way Law talks and tweets and writes. Just kind of the embarrassment of riches that the Braves have, and he, you know, he. I think he said that one thing at one, one point. He was talking about uh, how the Braves' uh, top ten, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to crack. It's almost harder to crack the Braves' top ten than it is the top one hundred of, mm-hmm. of, of the entire league, which is it's just crazy, man. It's, it's just uh, we're kind of spoiled at this point. I remember, I remember, I know you guys do too. Um, just how bad the system was, like oh three, four years ago. Like it was. Jason ghastly. Hirsch like, was one of our top pitching prospects. Yeah. I Ian, mean, Sean Gil Martin was like the number one prospect in the system. Ian Thomas, who was like a 28 year old reliever, oh my gosh. was number ten on a key. Braxton Davidson list. was like number six on Baseball America at one point. Yeah, yeah, Oof. it was brutal. Your boy Matt Lick, you by the way, your your boy Matt Lick was on this list of sure at some point. Yeah, uh, you just Christian used Beth all my concerns, Beth. Brad. Thank you. <laughs> Christian Bethencourt was number three on the Braves prospect list from like 2008 to 2014. Christian Bethencourt is arguably the best catcher, outfielder, pitcher in baseball. <laughs> I think he's the only one, but yes, uh, Carlos covered him uh, up close and personal in San Diego. So he can, uh, I'm sure, vouch for uh, Christian's uh, whereabouts at this point. But no, it's always good, man. I mean, this is, it's a loaded list, and uh, Keith does a great job. So uh, props to Keith Law, and it gives us one a lot of stuff to talk about. One of the things. Just to, you know, it was it was probably two weeks ago now. It was right after the Gohara Malik Smith trade went down. Uh, Copy went on, I think, a podcast with with Buster Olney, um, and when talking about his farm system, and over you know maybe five minutes, I think he said the word upside mm-hmm. about ten times. And you can see there is a clear, uh, clear focus here. You know, the Braves obviously know, and and listeners should know that. You know, even if if three out of ten pitching prospects pan out, you're in really good shape. Uh, that's just really prospects in general. You know, maybe Newcomb doesn't work out, maybe Gohara doesn't work out, maybe Anderson doesn't work out. But if Freed and Allard all of a sudden become you know left-handed studs for six, seven years, um, it'll be worth it just because it's so hard to develop and find. Um, star pitchers who can give you more than a couple of seasons you know even now in in the big leagues you look around at some of these highly touted prospects they come up and they have two great years and then they just kind of fade away and they get hurt uh the league catches up to them they don't make adjustments and and it's really just it's kind of amazing to see how hard it is to find pitching out there and, Mm -hmm. and prospects in general um but the Braves clearly have a plan here. They're going with upside, and they know that you know if they have their their ten best pitching prospects, if three or four of them can work out, they're going to be in great shape. So we'll certainly see. When anytime you go for upside, um, you're going to have that swing and miss factor, if you will. But uh, hopefully, some of these guys are able to keep going along and, and stay healthy and, and reach the reach the big leagues and, and live up to their potential. Big time. Uh, we should go through the pipeline list, although it was, uh, I guess it was less exciting um, because of the fact that just seven. Are uh, you kidding me? Just seven. And uh, for some reason, I, I mean, maybe I could, maybe you guys could correct me, but I feel like pipeline is uh, a little bit less respected across the board. I think maybe Keith's just been doing it for a while longer. Pipeline's kind of a newer, a newer scouting, uh, I guess, organization you could say. And They're that's just still trying to figure things out. But they've got some. I mean, Jim Callis is really smart. He's been doing the scouting and the draft stuff for a long time now. I think if you look if you look at Jim Callis's 2005 draft board, he predicted like the first 20 guys that came off the board. So he definitely knows what he's doing, but I I think that 
you can definitely tell they're they're trying to figure things out, and I think they've been improving. Like I, I'm a fan of Pipeline, but I obviously interned for MLB.com for two years, so maybe I'm biased in this regard. But no, not you, Carlos. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but we should. Uh, with with all that to say, uh, I'm sure some of that has to do with the fact that they were a lower on the Braves. So there are some interesting uh, differences here. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just read through the list real quick. Uh, Dansby Swanson's number number four on Pipeline. Uh, Ozzy Albies is number eleven, which uh, I have. Uh, Thoughts about uh, <laughs> Kevin Maiton, number 32, Colby Allard, number 53, Mike Soroka makes an appearance at number 78, Sean Newcomb, number 80, and Ian Anderson, number 86. Uh, the obvious one that is not uh, – the, the obvious guy that I think is uh, causing the most outrage is the fact that Ronald Acuna is mm-hmm. not on the list at all. Um, I, I know for a fact that our prospect guys would not agree with that. Um, I know Eric and those guys uh, love Acuna. So uh, I guess that's one notable difference. What else do you guys think about these lists? And uh, I don't know. Just tell me how wrong it will be a pipeline is, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. But the, the one thing that uh, stood out to me was having 16-year-old Kevin Maiton, number 32. Um, obviously, he's a super hyped-up prospect. I mean, one of the best uh, position player or one of the best prospects to come out of Venezuela since, like, uh, who is it? Miguel Sano, I guess. Comps to Miguel Cabrera, comps to Chipper Jones. Like, that's a hyped-up prospect, so obviously they are buying that upside. But I did not expect Kevin Maiton to be in the top 50 of either of these lists. Uh, he was even higher on Law's list than I thought. Um, so I guess these guys are okay with, with kind of the risk factor that is inherent with a 16-year-old. Um, that was the biggest surprise to me. The next one was uh, obviously Acuna. He's he's 110 for them, which is just outside the top 100. So, I mean, I'm not going to pick too many nits about that. But Acuna is a guy who kind of flew up uh, everyone's list, and maybe they just kind of want to wait a little bit more. But again, when you when you factor in Kevin Maiton being 32, that doesn't really that doesn't really go together that well. But I feel like our guys would be pumped that Mike Soroka is on this list after missing yeah. out on Keith Laws. So. Um, just different thoughts on different guys. You're always going to have differences. That's why these lists are fun. Um, I don't know if I'm too upset about anything. I think I'd probably tend to agree more with Keith's, but um, they do this professionally and I don't. So what do you, what do you think, Scott? I think one thing that stuck out to me in both law and the pipeline folks alluded to with Colby Allard, who mm-hmm. for what it's worth is, you know, he's the highest graded prospect pitching prospect on my rankings, which probably don't mean a whole lot, <laughs> but you know, he was a guy who everybody had kind of in the running to be go number one overall uh, two summers ago mm-hmm. before he had before he had the back injuries. And that scared some folks off. And on draft day, um, the consensus was is that if, you know, he could get past his back injuries, and anyone who's had a back injury knows how bad it is. Um, but you remember that the Braves were able to snag Allard with the 14th pick that year. Um, and he's already a, a top 50, top 60 prospect mm-hmm. on both of his lists. You know, you can say it after every single pitcher that we're going to list off. Yeah, he has to stay healthy. Yeah, he has to adjust to the higher levels. Um, but I think it kind of looks like the Braves stole Allard at 14. That mm-hmm. looks like an incredible value. Um, I would think that if they were to redo the the 2015 draft all over again, Allard wouldn't make it to 14. It's, it's just kind of my general feeling on it. So to have him um, so highly regarded, he, he certainly... Um, an exciting guy. You could argue that he has the highest ceiling of anybody other than uh, maybe than Tukey or Freed in the system. Um, so to see him rank that highly after really just one season in, in Rome um, should move up to, to high A ball at some point in 2017. Um, he's really an exciting guy, and I'm, I'm hoping that he's able to turn 
um, a strong, strong finish to 2016 into a big 2017. For sure. And I don't know. It's interesting. Soroka, I know Eric is going to be excited because that's Eric's guy forever and ever and ever. Amen. So uh, having him in the top 100 is good. Um, Allard's a guy I like a lot. I don't know. Is there anybody that's on neither list that you are surprised by? I think Tukey's probably the one uh, guy who people thought might crack the top 100 that's not there on either one. Uh, am, I, am I missing anybody that, that you think should have been considered? Or is there somebody that you think might jump into that mix next year or something like that? I think Tukey. I think Tukey is a guy who could jump back in if he has a good uh, 2016. I mean, his 2015 had a lot of up and downs. You obviously saw the control issues pop up as people are. I mean, that's his biggest thing is just throwing the ball where he needs to throw the ball. But he didn't have the year that you wanted him to have in 2016 to stay with these kind of elite prospects in baseball. So that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. But he's definitely a guy that's going to be. I mean, making a case for himself to be in the top 100 each year. Um, yeah. Another guy. I would argue Dustin Peterson. Mm-hmm. I think that you look at what he was kind of a forgotten piece. And I'm, I'm it, stunned it, that you're arguing that, Scott. I, <laughs> you don't like Dustin Peterson at all. I know my that. Number, my number one prospect, Dustin Peterson. You know, <laughs> you, you look at his numbers in, in AA Mississippi, which is a huge pitcher's part, um, and they were phenomenal. Now, he's going to have to show he can do it. He'll probably move up to Gwinnett to start the year, and I don't think he'll break into Atlanta until potentially the following year. But if he puts up similar numbers again in, in AAA, um, solid walk and walk and strikeout numbers across the board. Hit for pretty good power again, considering how big the park was. Um, a guy who who didn't get off to a great start, and basically after after the month of of April, I think his OPS went up um, every month after that. Um, when you consider that he's just 22. Now, I don't think anyone expects Peterson to become you know the, the next star outfielder, um, and I, I'm not really surprised that he wasn't in the top 100. Um, but he really did have a pretty I would argue he might have had the best offensive season of any person in the system in 2016, other than maybe Dansby um, or Albies, if, if, if you want to, um, you know, if, if you want to take his his numbers on face value. Um, but definitely excited about Peterson and hoping he does well in Gwinnett this year. I think uh, Travis Demerit is another guy who you can look out for. I know Keith Law raved about his defensive stuff at second base. It's kind of a tough profile for him to crack the top 100, I think. On pipelines list, at least there's only two. There are only two players who are strictly second baseman. That was Yohan Moncada, who's one of the best uh, offensive prospects in the game. Then Willie Calhoun. All the other second basemen on their top 100 either played shortstop or third or outfield. So that kind of helps them out a little bit, I would say. But uh, Demerit had a really good season in 2016. Brings a lot of pop, and if the defense is good as Law thinks, I think he's a guy that with a, a strong 2017 he could crack this list as well. Yeah, that was the guy I would have said, honestly, aside from Tukey, who I think mm-hmm. we all love, um, is uh, is Demerit for sure. And I, I knew Scott would say Peterson, which is why I, kind of kind of why I asked the question. Uh, I will but, beat that drum until he is out of baseball. Listen, you are his number one fan on the internet. I think that's documented at this point. Aside from his family, it's his family and you, Scott. And I, I'm yeah. I, I'm cool with it because he's good. I actually like him. I just feel like I can't even like hold a candle to your love, so I don't even try. You know, a couple other guys who are out there, just sorry to cut in, um, you know, you know, you look at someone like uh, Alex Jackson, you hope that the change of change of scenery out of Seattle. Um, Somebody pointed out that if you look at some of Seattle's top prospects over the last half decade or so, none of them have turned. I shouldn't say none of them, but very few of them have turned into anything in the big leagues. 
Um, you know, maybe there, there's something in the water in Seattle's system that, that they're not doing right. Um, he's shifting back to catcher. He's a guy who who certainly had all the hype in the world, um, had all the hype in the world uh, coming out of coming into the draft. Um, you know, and then uh, it's totally a I guess two sided coin who you talk to on Austin Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's the concerns about the swing, but if you look at his numbers, especially in the second half of last year, as really an 18, 19 year old in Rome, uh, really pretty ridiculous numbers for for somebody playing third base. Um, if he continues to hit like that at the upper levels of the minors, um, he's a guy who could certainly has the, you know, has the power, has the hitting tools to, to move up these lists. I think Law is one of the guys who's really down on his bat speed and isn't really a believer in Riley, but uh, yep. it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. I, I think Jackson is, is probably the, the third guy, I would say, who's a, a guy that's a candidate to break the top 100. I'm really curious to see how he handles catcher. I know there's a lot of people who are skeptical, skeptical of him trying to figure out the bat while also kind of readjusting to catcher. But I know when he got drafted, there weren't too many issues with him being a catcher. I think the Mariners just want to kind of wanted him put in or wanted to put him in the outfield to kind of push his bat to the majors quicker. Um, I don't think he was pushed off the position because he couldn't handle it. So maybe I'm a little more optimistic on his uh, defensive skills than I should be. But he's a really interesting guy, and he's got obviously all the talent in the world. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, the, I mean, catcher defense is something that, like, I don't, I won't claim to ever know, be able to know uh, without like looking at a guy extensively. And obviously, I've barely seen Alex Jackson do anything, so I don't, I have no idea. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm always here for a for catchers just because um, I think you can rise quickly there if you if you can prove that you can handle a catcher and hit at all. Um, catching catching is so bad in the majors that like it's hell skies the prospect list too. So it's one of those things where I wouldn't surprise me at all if he came up. But I think we pretty much hit everybody that realistically could be in the top hundred next year if it's not already there. But you know that I'm sure that'll prove us wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong if somebody else in the system just explodes. If Brett Cumberland decides to just go crazy this year or something. So just a um, quick note on Jackson before we move on. Um, in his uh, Baseball America draft uh, report, uh, they they pegged him as a uh, plus or plus plus arm. Um, and said that most scouts think Jackson can become a solid defensive backstop in time, but his receiving and blocking needs some work. So uh, definitely hopeful there in, in that scouting grade. Obviously, that might be different. He's a different player now than he was when he was drafted, but some hope for the, uh, the defensive side of things with him at catcher. A couple That's- other names. Yeah, just to fire off real quick, Christian Pash uh, down in, in the low levels of the minors. Um, a guy with a lot of talent, a lot of skills. He'll probably see some of Rome this year. Same with Darian Cruz, uh, another international free agent who was signed um, a year and a half ago. A guy who who has a lot of talent up the middle. Um, and then I think of all the of all the pitchers, um, Patrick Weigel uh, was a guy who was mm-hmm. kind of overlooked in the draft. He, he got him. Braves got him in the seventh round um, and put up some ridiculous numbers uh, down in Rome. Of course, he was a little bit older for the competition, but then was uh, jumped high A altogether and went to Mississippi and held his own in, in a couple of starts. So um, those are three other guys who we, we haven't listed yet, um, but with big 2017s, they could all kind of creep in towards the, the top 100 lists. The list being that long is another testament to copies work and all that stuff for the front office. But uh, listen, guys, we I think we've covered a lot on, on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Scott, well, while you're here, though, please, uh, if you want, or if there's anything you want to plug, go ahead and do that. Aside from, the, of course, just everyone's great work at TalkingChop.com, uh, including yours, though. Give me something, anything you want to put out there, as well as your Twitter info, all that stuff. If people don't know where to find you, they can find you. 
Yeah, this week, um, working on a series that will run over the next two weeks, looking at uh, what each of the National League East teams have done uh, this winter. Um, it's actually not as much as maybe you would have thought, if that's a, if that's a tease for you. Um, I think the Nationals and Mets are this week, so those are certainly the two front runners in the division. I think one's coming out uh, maybe Monday, and, and one will be out Friday, but sometime this week, so be on the lookout for those um, as we kind of get closer and closer to spring training. Um, I'm on Twitter at ScottColeman55. If you'd like to see my ramblings about the Braves and getting mad about Arizona Wildcats basketball and whatever episode <laughs> of The Office I'm watching that night. So lots of good times on there. Listen, Arizona's good at basketball right now. So there's nothing, they are. nothing to get mad about. Better than North Carolina right now. So The Final Four is in Phoenix, and I just want to brace myself for having to make that adult decision that won't be made as an adult if I want to shell out tons of cash to go see those games. Just find a way um, to get credentialed. You can that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to be some friends with the, the NCA folks up in Phoenix and yeah, yeah, I'm here for the news. Talking chop is covering the final four. Mm-hmm. Got so to. that's my end. Yeah. Uh, as someone who watched uh, my favorite sports team uh, play in, in a final four in a title game, actually oh my in my hometown, um, I can say that it was it was probably worth the money, although it didn't work out so well. So it's a good story, um, and I guess she'll probably be. More, I don't know. Arizona's pretty good, so we'll see how that works out for them. But I, I wouldn't hesitate. That's just my info. Of course, I would not want to spend your money for you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's stuff that happens. It's uh, it, ultimately up to you. But uh, also, my team's <laughs> in the Super Bowl this week, so uh, a week from now, uh, when we do this podcast, my team will have won or lost the Super Bowl. And please let them win. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, if they don't, if they don't win, Carlos, you're on your own for the pod. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that's fine. I'll just get uh, Mark Bowman on the pod, and we can have a good time. You. you can still not. It might be. Him. It might be the, the first ever Carlos solo pod. I've done a couple <laughs> solo pods myself uh, during Carlos's hiatus. I'm pretty um, sure yeah. I've never done a solo pod, so that would be something. You have not, I don't think. Ever um, in my so life, yeah. no, I haven't. Warren, uh, be fair warned, if the Falcons don't win on Sunday, you probably won't hear from me. But uh, anyway, Carlos, you have anything to plug, man, while we're here? Um, I don't have as much as Scott because Scott's always working harder than us. So you can follow me on Twitter. I, I still need – I want to do something on Sean Rodriguez. Uh, just find out what changed with him last year. I still want to do that. I haven't forgotten about it. Just been a little busy on my end of late. Uh, so hopefully I can do something like that. Uh, the analytical pieces are always fun for me to do. I like kind of diving into – to what these guys are up to, maybe beyond the surface level. So hopefully I can tell you guys why Sean Rodriguez was suddenly a good hitter last year and see if he's actually going to keep doing that if you're really interested in Sean Rodriguez. I actually am, so I'm excited to read that. Um, uh, for, everybody, for everybody else, though, uh, Scott, Scott, thank you for being on the podcast, by the way. You are a guest, technically, so thank you. Of course. Yeah, How no, many appreciate- podcasts you had to be on before you're not a guest and you're just Scott Coleman, the regular you have, to be a, you have to be a co-host to not be a guest, Carlos. So, <laughs> right. uh, no, I think Scott. Uh, aside from aside from you and I, I, it's either Scott or Eric that has the record. I need, I need to go back and count to see who has been on the podcast the most times. But it's, it might I've be Scott. Probably Scott done, is, I've probably done ten. I think out of, about where I'm at. Out of four, is this forty nine? Yeah. This is forty nine. So that's uh, it's pretty impressive from Scott. He's also happens to be the longest tenured uh, writer at TalkingChops.com. Yeah, how long have you been so, doing stuff at Talking Chops, Scott? I've been filling in and out, oh man, um, probably eight years now. So did you back. start the website originally? Is it your idea? No, <laughs> I was, uh, right, yeah, no, I joined back when uh, Martin Gandy, aka mm-hmm. Gandhi, who still has a, a blog that he does, um, I started that, I want to say it was like my freshman year of college when I started doing stuff with him, um, just kind of as a contributor and mm-hmm. started game recaps and then got to work 
little bit with SB Nation and, and their kind of mothership and on their writer desk. And yeah, you know, it's always just kind of been something I do and I enjoy it. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun to write about the team that you, you care about, especially when you're out here in Arizona. Of course, yeah. you guys are more regionally located. Um, I think I've met one person out here who is a, you know, honest to goodness Braves fan who could name more than like 10 players on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is nice to have that, that way to, uh, connect with people all over the country, especially with the Braves being such a national brand with, you know, for going back to the TBS days and everything like that. What was your, how did you get started writing about the Braves? Like what, what made you want to do that in the first place? Uh, not to you know, get too much yeah, into yeah. your life history, but yeah, I think I want to say that I, I picked up talking chop. Um, I, I used to read MLB trade rumors as did everybody when it mm-hmm. came out about a decade ago. And I think, Talking Chop, I want to say, was listed as a link on there, you know, on their kind of blog's way in and Mm -hmm. checked it out. And I, you know, and at the time I was a freshman in school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, wanted to, you know, I was considering journalism and being a sports writer, as do, you know, 90 percent of the kids who go through journalism school anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, it was just kind of a way for me to kind of get experience and see it wasn't as a, you know, credentialed or anything like that. It was just kind of a hobby. And. Um, you know, just kind of what led to one thing or another. And before we knew it, I was, I was writing game recaps and, you know, trade, you know, writing up trade reaction and everything like that. So, um, it's crazy to think that it's been, you know, probably eight or nine years that, um, I've never run the site, you know, I've never, I've never been the manager of it. I, I, you know, just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time and and it's a lot of effort to, to run a blog, especially one with a big following, uh, like talking chop has, um, but yeah, it's it's just been a fun thing for me to kind of do, and I'm I'm thankful that I've been able to um, write stuff. I'm sure that people who who read and listen don't agree with everything <laughs> I say. I know that for a fact, um, and I'm sure I've written things that have been very wrong over the years. But um, you know, it's fun, and and you know, again, as an out of towner, um, it's always nice to be able to connect with with fans of the team that you know aren't living in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For well, awesome, sure. Scott. We definitely uh, appreciate everything you've done over the years and always uh, getting a chance to chat with you about the Braves. Absolutely. Absolutely. The next step is to get Scott on our Slack channel, which almost no one will understand <laughs> except people that are on our, that are on the staff talking chop. But uh, wow, way to go, at Brad. some point, at some point in life, Scott's going to have to get on the Slack channel. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> I, I understand Scott. It's fine. You're, you're the loner. It's fine. I understand. Uh, shouts to Chris Willis, by the way, who runs the show and along with Demetrius Bell. Those guys do a great job. Uh, while we're here. All right. Thanks everybody for uh, joining us on today's podcast. We'll be back next week it might just be carlos we'll see uh and uh enjoy baseball yeah go falcons please uh i'm assuming some of you are at least falcons fans so you'll join me in this although i'm sure a lot of you are panthers fans or saints fans and hate the falcons so no, it's probably split, panthers, right? uh, i know that we we all know Braves fans that are panthers fans uh, all three of us know people those people so uh, anyway, all right, guys. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. Please stay tuned. Leave five-star reviews. Do all that stuff. Subscribe on iTunes. And we'll be back again next week. Bye.